Hello and welcome to the 90th episode of Indie Radio, a weekly podcast in which we chat with the creative minds involved with the creation of indie games. I'm Brett Hudson. And I'm Ian Jones. Today, we spoke with PD and Daz from the Spriters Resource, a website dedicated to the collection, archival, and appreciation of sprites from video games. In this episode, we discuss the evolution of the site over the past two decades, reverse engineering, hidden secrets of game assets, sprite comics, the inevitability of all things becoming obsolete, the great database delete, backups, and the strengths of working together with someone with a different skill set. So I'm I'm Daz. I've been doing the Sprite's resource since a certain time. I can't remember how long it's been now. It's been like 16, 17 years, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, and yeah, uh, I mean, I now also do Did You Know Gaming with a, a few of my friends from Norwich who uh, I've just sort of recently re-established ties with and we're doing loads of cool stuff on, on that front and uh, we're still working with Pete on TSR. And I am PD or Pete, have not been doing TSR quite as long. I, I officially jumped in uh, towards the end of 2010 during a uh, trip that Daz had made to the US. So we had known each other for a while before that. And I pretty crazy. Yeah, there's there's a long story behind that. But basically, we've known each other for a while. He expressed interest in wanting to kind of revamp the site. I was like, hey, I know web things. Let's do it. (laughs) Uh, And so we did. And I continue to maintain it through today. He's very solid at his job. He is a regiment. he's, He's on the ball. So with, with 2010, that puts you at about 10 years, PD, and then 16, 17 years would be like early 2000s, 2003, 2004. Does that sound about right? It's, it started in 2003 uh, okay. under a different name. Gotcha. Oh, so have you been here the entire time, Daz? Uh, so, man, it's a really weird story, but uh, mm-hmm. I've been with it since it was like, I'm the third person to run it. But this, we're, we're talking like back in the day when, you know, uh, people make websites and they, they have a forum and people go, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. So it goes on to someone else and then they go, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, it's not really like a sort of big Passover or anything, but mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, it just kept going and uh, I just never lost interest. So it, it just wound up the way it is. Uh, I can't remember exactly the years because it, it was so long ago now, you know. I can remember the years because I recently put it on the about page. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, I don't know the years that the handoffs happened, but I know that the site started as ninsprites.tk and stuck with that name from around 2003 to 2004. Um, from 2004 to 2006, it was sprites.fireball20xl.com. And then from 2006 to present, uh, it was the Spiders resource and then other sites were added on top of that throughout the years but 2006 on is where it where its current name stems from yeah. at the very least yeah sure oh man dot tk that that brings me back i remember yeah. early when i was learning it's like oh my gosh you can get a free a free url what was it was it cjb.net was that another one that sounds familiar there so many now it's just .me and all this sort of weird stuff. I don't know. Like it, I think uh, the domain name thing is it's it's gone a bit crazy. I don't like it. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, that's another. I kind of hate all of the premium domains. Should have just stuck with like .com, org, net, a couple others, edu. But like uh, you could get like .dot photography, and it doesn't even look like a URL anymore. Mm-mm. Yeah. There's <laughs> so Ian and I we we have. A really bad habit of buying domain names for a potential projects someday, and like we'll we'll just go through the list. There are so many. Like you can you could get .dot ninja to you know do a throwback to <laughs> your other uh, your old back in the day. Um, what, what's the weirdest one you've seen, Ian? There are some hyper specific ones, but I still love that there's just random stuff from like .dot pizza down to .dot engineer stuff like that at this point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. That doesn't look like a domain at that point. So they, you kind of lose the whole, oh, it's .com. I'll go type it in my browser, so. Yeah, it's <laughs> but, .com is just the automatic, that's a real website. I'll go right. that one, you know. It's more authoritative, like too. .net.org are at least commonly 
seen. If you see that on the side of a bus, you know, whatever.net, you know that it's still a website. But if you see Domino's.pizza, <laughs> like, maybe you know it's yeah. website because Domino's is an acknowledged brand. But, like, mm-hmm. otherwise, you're really not sure what you're looking at. Yeah. Are you trying to tell me that cool.zone does not sound like a URL? <laughs> it sounds like an attempted recreation of uh, DZ. <laughs> yeah. Jumping back to what you were saying earlier about the Spriders resource becoming a bigger thing with the video game resource, and also possibly just for people tuning in who don't have a, a big concept, uh, what is the Spriders resource and how did it grow into what it's become today? So... Uh, the Sprites resource is like a, I suppose, a database or an archive of uh, sprites uh, ripped from video games, be it via screenshot-based rips or or by reverse engineering and and whatnot. So a lot of people are just interested in, you know, taking a look at the games and learning how they were all put together and uh, sort of getting inspiration and whatnot. It's just become this big catalog over the years. Uh, back in the day, it was all because you know. We all wanted to make a video game, right? And the easiest way mm-hmm. was to, to recreate a video game. Uh, and even uh, that's, that's a John Carmack recently tweeted out about that and how the Sprite resource is the perfect example of a way to do it. And um, it's just like a way of enabling people to see what's kind of behind the curtain with the graphics of a, a game, I suppose, uh, be it sprites or models or textures or uh, now with obviously sound effects as well. Um, that's kind of hearing rather than seeing it, but that's a different thing. Uh, uh, I mean, it just, it's grown so much that it's not really what it was back in the day when it was all entirely, you know, uh, NES and SNES and, uh, pixel based stuff. But, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, people go back and who do pixel art and they, they use the website for learning how to do pixel art as like a big influence for them to take a direction in video games which i think is pretty sick uh it's it, there's there's so many reasons for people to use it it's really hard whenever anyone asks to kind of give a rundown of it to explain why people go to it you know it's, it's especially so because those uses have changed dramatically over the years uh yeah one of the common threads has always been people you know testing you know, maybe they're making a game and they haven't found an artist yet, so they'll, they'll use existing sprites as just placeholders. Um, way back when, when uh, sprite comics were still a thing, it was a very common use to, to grab images from the site to use in your own comics. Um, I the biggest thing for them as well. It was all about sprite comics back in the uh, early 2000s. Yeah. Whoa! Um, so... I, I've never actually done much with the content itself, but I like browsing the site just because it's kind of interesting to see, you know, the, the artwork on its own or things that maybe never made it into the final game. Or, you know, if, if you've got a portrait shot, but you find out that there's actually two thirds more of the body beneath where you can see, like, it, it's just it's just sometimes interesting to check out the games from a different perspective. Mm. For sure. Uh, that reminds me of the, the Boundary Break channel on YouTube. Where they oh, yeah, she says. Like- uh, the, the guy who runs it called She Says, he's a, he's a good friend of ours. He's uh, really nice. I definitely remember back in 2008, 2009, when I was had first downloaded Game Maker and was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I have all the power, but I didn't know how to do pixel art. I, I remember that was my first time stumbling upon the Spriders resource. I think somebody on the Game Maker forums like, was like, hey, check out this site. You can get all these sprites for your game, which I'm sure like is a totally legal and like good thing to, to do to just be <laughs> dropping sp- copyrighted sprites into your... I guess, I guess that's something we should cover explicitly now uh, because it comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. If you're using them as placeholders or you're using them as like, you know, just a fun learning experience for yourself and maybe to show to a couple friends, it's fine. Use whatever you want. If you're planning on publishing the game in any way, be it for free or paid especially, yeah, you definitely can't use copyrighted material. And we, we get those questions all the time with people looking to for us to allow it so that they can skirt by those loopholes. It's just like, we don't own it, so we can't license it, don't do it, it's bad. With people interacting, like, have there been any tales of people coming to you and just, you know, like, saying, like, oh my gosh, the Spider's Resource, this, you know, helped me out in this way, or, like, any, any just, like, wild stories that you didn't imagine you would ever hear? Uh, I mean, there was there's one story which uh, 
I guess it, it kind of, it's more, it's not really to do with like, uh, I don't know, I guess the community behind it is just everyone who's used it, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there was a guy who, uh, he was on the forums like back in, I don't know how, it was It was really early days, like I'm going to say 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. uh, and a couple of years ago, I, I flew to Philadelphia for Digital Gaming to do a con. This guy in the audience was like, oh, do you remember a, a guy called uh, Treeks? And I was like, uh, I do. Because for some reason, I was so like, you know, the, the community was the big thing. I remembered absolutely everyone. So this guy just... Uh, I, I was just so blown away that he was he, he turned he was there uh, for a start and I was just like afterwards I, I said hello to him we just hung out all night and just uh, sort of talked about the concept of you know online communities during the early 2000s as a young teenager and and the kind of weird friendships you develop and how they kind of uh, carry forward throughout life because mm -hmm. you spent so much time with them you learn so much about them without even thinking about it it's how we met. Yeah, exactly. It's how we met. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't have specific names, unfortunately, but I do remember going to, I want to say MAGFest, uh, with a couple of friends, including Daz, actually, who was there that year as well. Yeah, yeah. And we ran into one of my friends from back home in New Jersey who was good friends with an artist whose name escapes me at the moment, but freaked out when he heard that we were there because he's been using the spider's resource for years because he does, I, I forget if it's like, you know, it's like little parlor beads or, or like blows up and does paintings or something. He did some sort of art, but that was pixel based and extensively used TSR as a reference for it and was just like blown away. And it was a really weird experience for me because I hadn't, nobody knows what I look like. I, I, my avatar is Bash the Stampede. Like, so to be <laughs> quote unquote recognized was odd for the first time, but interesting. Oh I God. think that's something that I've I've really kind of taken away from doing TSR as well with with Pete and the way that we've kind of approached it is, you know, we there's no reason for anyone to know who the hell we are, like to look at our faces or or anything like that. It's kind of a weird approach to the whole thing, which even with doing uh, digital gaming now, I don't really my face isn't really the thing, you know. Uh, it's all just about a voiceover. So I've always just been kind of weirdly behind the scenes so whenever people do know about it it's really strange because there's no reason for to to immediately acknowledge that you know we are the people behind it which is kind of a blessing and a curse in some ways but you know i consider it more of a blessing when our when our mutual contacts are like oh yeah blah 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 i know i know pd uh, from spider's resource it's like wait hold up what <laughs> like I had never really even considered obviously there's people behind the sprite yeah, resource yeah. but it just didn't really like click in my mind that there were tangible real people and Which yeah is, it's, it's kind of it's kind of nice to know that like people liked it and the actual website not the mm -hmm. uh I don't know some personality behind it or anything like that it was just a really mm -hmm. functional we, we kind of approached it really systematically and functionally is the most important thing so, you know, it's not about us. It would just get in the way. It, it, it shows as far as how the site runs as well. Um, yeah, of course, as a staff, um, you know, submissions are reviewed for quality and other things. But most of the content that you see on the site is provided by the community. The staff does rip and upload things, but most of it is community driven. Um, and so it really isn't just one or two people behind the site there's a gigantic number of people who are involved in making it what it is yeah i mean that's the thing when, when we talk about people from back in the days there's there's so many people who have dedicated you know years of effort uh continuously to try and just provide sprites for people which is just completely voluntarily because they enjoy it and and it's amazing you know i, I it's such a strange community of people and there's so many different characters throughout so many amazing, kind people and some really bizarre people. And it's just, it's it's so crazy how many people have been involved in just something as basic as, as this, you know? Yeah, wow. Do you, do you have any numbers for how many people have uploaded content? I'm sure. uh, we, I think we do. I don't know if we have easily accessible a complete count of submitters. Um, 
maybe we should do that. <laughs> yeah, we we really like the idea of people being able to see statistics because it's you know you know we're we're nerds. We like numbers and stuff, right? So if you want to see how many games we've got for the Atari ST, I mean, go for it. <laughs> I mean, I, I could give you a, a basic rundown. There are 128,746 approved sheets on the site right now. Um, the top 50 submitters list. Um, the, the top submitter actually happens to be Daz with 9,434 of those sheets. It's over 9,000. <laughs> <laughs> I should have that seen that coming. That was a specific number to go for as well. <laughs> um, the lowest number on the top 50 list has 441 submissions um so if you figure that there's probably a good number of people out there that have one or two and the mm. bottom of the top 50 has 441 there's got to be at least a few hundred people that have submitted um, mm. I, 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 could, I could probably find the actual number uh if you give me a minute but sure if, if, if you hundred to be honest that was that? I'd probably say several hundred, really, but... Let's find out. Let's do it. Uh, Daz, have there been any... I, I don't know if horror story is the right word, but just, like, very grueling, challenging, like, pull-out-your-hair tales of trying to extract uh, resources uh, and get them up on the dude, site? It's, it's like every goddamn fucking thing. <laughs> being honest, it just... It, it, sometimes you go in and you're like, oh, it's nice. It's a standard format container. I can just extract all the data from that and then I can have a look at it. And then sometimes it's like, oh, okay. So I need to work out 48 digits in order to put those at the beginning. And they've some, somewhat halved the file and put half at the end and half at the beginning. And I need to reverse that around in order to make it make any sense so that I can have a look and see if there's anything I might be able to do with the thing that's inside that thing. And it's just... I can't be bothered after a little while and I just give up. If it's easily done, I'll go ham and I'll get absolutely everything I can to, to make it complete. But like, there's some games I would love to be able to get stuff from, but they are just so mind-bogglingly crazy to uh, go through. But there's a huge community online of people who are all like documenting how to reverse engineer all of these different formats. It's, it's really crazy uh, as, a, as a wide interest of... Uh, video games specifically you know mm -hmm. it's weird okay so i don't know how accurate this number is going to be right now because it covers all four sites uh, which mm -hmm. means that there's going to be some who have submitted only models for instance that haven't submitted any sprites but there are a total of 3823 records in the submitters table that was a nice so 3800 plus people have been involved in submitting at least one thing at some point it's a lot of contributors. Yeah, so that's like 10 times the amount that you were just thinking a moment ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah, quite. It's uh, kind of mind-boggling. The whole idea behind taking like old, old data formats and ways that people were able to just cram every, you know, squeeze every last little uh, bite out of a cartridge is, I don't know, I... I I also think that that is just amazing. And that it makes me curious if people are still trying to do that thing. Cause I know like there's certain communities that are trying to like make games that run on Arduinos, Raspberry Pis, and they still need to mm. do that uh, because of the limited resources. But I, I wonder how much of that gets translated to, you know, AAA games or, you know, like these bigger projects where resources on the computer are more readily available. But I, I know mean, they still want to look at Warzone, right? I mean, it's a goddamn nightmare. It's like 200 gigabytes or something ridiculous for a video or like game. The What's going <laughs> new on? Call of Duty. And <laughs> there's, there's reasons for it. Like, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the meme where there's a, a picture of like a level one in Super Mario Brothers and it's got text overlaid on it, something to the effect of like, this image is X kilobytes. The original Mario game was less than X kilobytes. I, mm. I don't remember the number. Um, that level of optimization certainly doesn't exist anymore. But to be fair, everybody wants photorealistic graphics. And a large part of that 200 gig install size and 160 gig update file are 
you know, four, eight, twelve K textures that take mm. up astronomical amounts of space, but that you need if you're gonna be playing on a forty nine inch monitor. Like mm. But what I what I love is, is that there are still people who are making games for the Mega Drive or for the SNES or NES. And it's like they are continuing to work out even better ways of optimizing for the console. And that's just crazy. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because we're continuing on. Mm-hmm. We, we know better than we knew back then. We know how to do things we didn't know then. We can make some really baller stuff on these really janky little consoles. Mm-hmm. I'm also curious uh, what your thoughts are on like Pico 8 or that sort of thing, because that kind of feels like the heart of that whole virtual console is that sort of optimization of how can you take what is essentially that type of limited hardware and still make these crazy experiences where people are doing like 3D games and things like that, even within the, or like the original Celeste or stuff like that. Mm, I mean, it's it's absolutely nuts. I, I love it. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to be the guy who has to do it. yeah at some point that that devolves into like writing an assembly and i i I can't say i've had any experience doing that but i've seen what it's like and i i'm perfectly content to continue not having the experience yeah fair yeah i suppose since since you've been on the other side trying to like undo all of that doing it yourself almost feels like you're i think one of the best ways of learning how anything works is reverse engineering and and just Mm -hmm. like you know uh, seeing all of the things seeing the end product and, and everything that makes up to it allows you to learn in a different way and i think it kind of helped it helped me learn a lot of little things about a lot of things and I couldn't begin to imagine half of the effort to begin half of the things I've seen. It's just <laughs> mind-numbingly insane, the amount of uh, notes and just information they've crammed in. And it's just like, I don't know, code is, is a wonderful but very scary thing. And then it's not just code either. I mean, I've been replaying Skyrim recently, kind of just in preparation for going back and trying Morrowind again. I, I gave it a solid eight-hour try a while back and couldn't, but not the point. The point is that I was thinking about it last night, and they're just in dialogue and voice acting alone uh, and, and text in this game. It's absurd. There's like five million books that each have a title and an author and at least one, if not multiple pages, that I'm not reading. But mm. that's one tiny relatively insignificant aspect of the game when you really think about the grand scope of you know the combat system and the the level up system and the world itself and ai triggers and all these things that have to happen but there was a team of people that dedicated who knows how many hours days weeks months to developing just that part of the game mm-hmm. <laughs> which and is yeah, and people just completely forget about it and move on to the next one yeah pretty much <laughs> Although, to be fair, they've been forcing Skyrim down our throats for so long that it's damn near impossible to forget about it at this point. (laughs) At some point, you have to think, like, um, I'm all for for vast, engaging video games and and all of that, but Mm -hmm. at some point, the quality is going to drop. The the writing of all of those books, they wouldn't write that many books and actually publish them. You know, it's, it's, they clearly haven't put they're they're all into every single piece of writing that you're going to read and it's going to get worse and worse as they get further down the line and it just kind of becomes a bit of a chore after a while Mm -hmm. it's true it's true as a whole too i mean look at the 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 evolution if you will of sonic games you know sonic one was a great game two and three expanded on it three and knuckles was probably like the perfection of of sonic uh and most of the Sonic games after that have not been as good because they're trying to do more with them. I mean, Shadow had a gun in his. There was a Sonic game where you were running around with a sword and shield. Uh, I personally liked Sonic Adventure, but like, it, it's again, it's a lot of stuff that they're spending time doing that's not only lowering the quality of the individual items that they're working on, but oftentimes lowering the quality of the game as a whole. 
yeah, I think it's, it's interesting actually going back to like the surprise resource with it as well. That that was one thing I really enjoyed was, for example, you might play Pokemon Red and Blue, right? But at least back in the day, YouTube didn't exist as well. So, you know, whatever. But you didn't know what they all looked like. You could then look at every single one of them on a sprite sheet. And there were games where you wouldn't necessarily get to certain bits. You got halfway through and then you got a bit bored, but you really like the art or, you know, there's there's so many reasons why I kind of wanted to rip from a game mm -hmm. for the surprise resource, which I think it just kind of goes back to wanting to see everything in a game. But at the same time, as games got bigger, that became a much bigger ball ache. Yeah, whereas Pokemon is a good example because they're, you could play the entire game in a couple days if you really grind hard at it and finish the game but still not see everything. I mean, literally can't see everything if you're only playing red or blue. And then it only compounds further when you've got like a epic RPG which has like a main storyline that has a 70-hour playthrough and then, you know, another 300 hours of side quests. There might be, you know, an entire castle that mm. somebody spent six days rendering that you'll never see because you didn't happen to do that side quest or you had to, or you killed the character 10 minutes into gameplay without realizing that they're important like so yeah and that's it's i've never like i said i've never used the the sprites on tsr to do anything like sprite comics or make a game or anything like that but i mm -hmm. still regularly browse the site because it's fun to look at parts of games that i haven't seen or just to go back and reminisce like yeah actually hypersonic was really cool <laughs> so <laughs> Ian and I were both young children in the early 2000s we were both born late 90s we don't know what sprite comics are we're literally just comics where you take sprites well maybe maybe Ian does I, I don't know if I'm speaking for you no man. I don't <laughs> okay sweet oh, okay man. I was like yeah I think it might be a bit before our time was it literally just sprites in the comics and you would like say what character like act out that character or what literally rage comics with sprites <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it I mean what you do is you you just put you you get a sprite sheet you grab the sprite for the panel you put it on the panel you get a background maybe from another game because it doesn't matter if it's inconsistent artwork no one's going to know us so you just put that behind it put the character on there in a way that looks like it might be standing in the scene then do a circle on MS Paint with a white background and do a little triangle and there you go you write your text in there sprite comic you've immediately become an author yeah literally comic like like a comic book except <laughs> with sprites often following a theme so like you you might see you know some untold story of Mario so obviously most of the sprite related artwork is pulled from Mario games gotcha. but yeah, effectively digital comic books with sprites. So would you say that they leaned more towards the narrative side rather than just like being purely like jokes or? It depends on mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, uh, the community of sprite comics mm -hmm. range from, hey, I'm a eight year old child who has no idea how to formulate a sentence. And <laughs> I'm a 38 year old man who actually has a comprehension of comedy. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a bit of a weird mix of, of quality throughout the sprite comic world. There was, uh, was it, I think 8-Bit Theater was one that was like really big. Yes. Uh, where they used Final Fantasy sprites. I want to say I've heard that name in passing, but I've never known. I mean, they also it, it, did it, some stuff on Newgrounds and, and uh, over, yeah, that again, like early 90s people and but late 80s, early 90s with early internet. There was a lot of weird, crazy stuff out there, but there was so limited, everyone saw it. So yeah. it, it's become part of the... If you were on the internet, you knew what certain things were. It's, it's very strange. It's also very strange having a conversation with people who don't know what they are, given that they were <laughs> such an, an integral part of the internet. Back yeah. when I first... I mean, I've, I've been using it. My, my first modem was a 14.4K dial-up modem. Um... <laughs> Which is, by the way, a quarter of the 56k dial-up that you might be familiar with. So, Oof. I've been using the internet for a while, and it, it's just a strange thought that, like, there are people who haven't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think it's because the webcomic world completely disappeared after a little while, really. Like, yeah. there was only one or two that were kind of video game related that stuck around. There's a few now that have, have kind of kept the test of time, but, you know... 
there was a lot of web comics. That was the number mm -hmm. one thing you did uh, in order to kind of create content on the internet easily if you were doing any kind of artistic uh, thing. So mm -hmm. it, it makes sense because kinda... this way predated things like YouTube, where yeah. video, I, honestly, it predated things like Flash being common too. <laughs> so animation really wasn't even common at the time. If you were going to do something artistic, it was definitely going to be static. Well, yeah. going to use GIFs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ian and I were both, like, kind of grew up in the Flash era. Like, I remember playing Flash games when I was four or five years old, so... I do remember it before it was Adobe and before it was dead, so there's that, yeah. but... I also remember QuickTime yeah. uh, and oh. people telling me, don't install that on my computer, it will jack it up, and not understanding <laughs> why or how. Um, Let's be fair, it's still totally true. did, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, QuickTime now, especially, um, they discontinued the Windows version of it because they just didn't update it in, like, 15 years, and it was just a massive security hole. <laughs> but yeah, I do remember, I do remember Macromedia Flash, uh, mm -hmm. and I, technically, Flash isn't dead yet. Mm -hmm. I think it's official EOL is... December 31st of this year. But it's about yeah. time. Yep. Every time I, I open up Chrome, like, on a fresh install, it's like, hey, we noticed that you have a flag saying that you have Flash enabled. No. Yeah. I yeah, I have I'm some Flash games that I need to uh, port to HTML5 at some point, but I can't be bothered. Yeah, so. I forget. You can't, there's a big project going on all. to do that. You can't port all of them. You know, there's going to be some, some real gems that are going to get lost. Uh, so it's a shame, man. Yeah. But Flash is a disaster it needs to die. It was also a blessing. It was one of the blessings it of the was. internet. It was one of the the shining beacons of humanity during the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, yes, and then so unfortunately... Amazing sites. Unfortunately, like everything else, bad actors took advantage of it and ruined it. Yeah, every year something new gets taped over in the web world, and it's like, oh, one more great thing that we don't have anymore... Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm shitting on it now, obviously, but I mm -hmm. I did love Flash, and you know I I also played plenty of Flash games in my time, be it on Newgrounds or or one of the many other Flash game sites mm -hmm. that existed. And I I will be sad to see some of them go. Um, and you're right, some of them won't be able to be ported, be it because they had a ton of action script that doesn't translate well, or or just assets that can't of... be broken down. It's weird when you look at it now because it's like uh, the the establishment of my my humor was almost from flash animations on websites like Rather Good and Z Thing and and uh, Weeble and all of these really obscure fucking things now. But back in the day, they were huge, right? So uh, that's going to happen again. It's going to continue where something that is like sprite comics or or flash animations. It's just gonna there's going to be a generation of people that. I cut my my humor means nothing to them, and I'm talking <laughs> gibberish. That's actually a fun question. What do you think is common now that won't be, let's say, 15 years from now? Oh, <laughs> right. Now. I was thinking about stuff that was common like 10 years ago that people don't know about now. Like, cause I my 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 sister is 10 years younger than me, so I'm right on the cut between millennials and Gen Z. And then she, she's, like, fully submersed in Gen Z. And, like, the two of us have completely different things. And I'll bring up websites and technologies, and she'll be like, what's that? What, what's, what's a MySpace? You know, and it's just like, oh, man. what? It's, it's but, weird because, like, I, of course, that's, that's how, of course that's what's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. We all know that. We, we're not blind to the fact, but then suddenly it happens, and you go, oh, shit, I'm old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, there's a video uh, that's that's been going around uh, about uh, it, it's his parent asking uh, his kids how they how they motion the phone and you know like most generations put their thumb and their pinky out and put it up to their face yeah, to sure, you know yeah. emulate an old one and now kids just put like their hand perfectly flat up against their face to you know wait a smartphone <laughs> yes because it's a I'm smartphone. <laughs> It, it reminds me of another similar thing where I saw, I think this actually genuinely happened, but obviously it's the internet, so it may have been scripted, yeah. uh, but where a student, but I, I think it was a, a student in like a fairly technical high school mm -hmm. where they had a 3D printer, they had 
one of the teachers uh, had like a stack of floppy disks on their desk, and the student actually came in and they're just like, "Oh, that's so cool, Mister Whatever. Why? Did, but why did you 3D print the save icon?" And like, just totally did not recognize recognized it as the icon <laughs> represents mm-hmm. save, but did not know that it was actually a physical thing before yeah. that. Yeah, the same thing with the phone icon. Like, if you ask a lot of young kids, like, what the icon means, they'll be like, I don't know, it's just the phone icon. I it is. Just about recently, that the the, uh, the name for the menu button on mobile phones is often the, the, the little three-line thing is called a hamburger. I had no mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. yeah, I think I only found out about that somewhat recently myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I think cssstricks.com revealed that to me like a year or two ago. And it was, like, a really pleasant... They had a whole a whole, like, grid of, like, here's all these common UI elements that you never knew had a name, and Hamburger was the first. Can you think I of just, any others? I can't bring myself to say it. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I don't see the benefits of calling it the Hamburger menu if who you're talking to won't likely understand it. Mm-hmm. So, I've given up on that. Yeah, I just <laughs> call it the menu icon myself. Yeah, but and that's everyone, everyone seems to get that. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, keep it simple. Speaking of reference websites, though, you just brought up CSS tricks. I'm sure there's plenty of people who know things like W3 schools and less people who know about the right. actual W3 consortium. Oh, for sure. Um, but if we're talking about old reference websites, I can tell you that my first was Funky Chickens. Does anybody else here actually even remember what that was? I kind yeah. of thought rings a bell, man. <laughs> I and I had a feeling that was going to be the case. Daz might, I didn't think you would. But, but Funky Chickens... <laughs> was a website that purported to be an HTML reference. Uh, it turns out, really, that it was just random snippets of code that you could copy and paste. Uh, so I remember making my Neopets guild, and I wanted a drop-down menu, so I copied and pasted <laughs> their drop-down menu, and like I felt like I was learning HTML, and I, I guess to a degree I kind of was at the time. But yeah, that, that was my start with web programming, was, was Neopets guilds and Funky Chickens copy and pasting. To be fair, that sounds like what a lot of developers still do with Stack Overflow, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, like, oh. nobody knows everything. I... Oh, no. Right. <laughs> you, gotta, the, you gotta look things up. The amount of times in the last week alone that I've hit up MDN uh, to, like, copy-paste what, some yeah, CSS right. thing, like, I, I think I used background origin for the first time, or, or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've definitely never like, used background origin, but now I, I don't know how to use this. We do it all the time. We're, we're just like, oh, this would look good with like a, a weird uh, sort of shadowy border thing. If we do this, and then what mm. the the numbers do, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, you just kind of jank it up until it looks right. Uh, there's mm. there's been entire days where, like, it it started with him making with Baz making something in Photoshop. Like, this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And then diving into a crazy rabbit hole of things we didn't know we could do. And then finding out that it was actually really easy, but not before doing it the very hard way first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I love when, when you like show something off, you're like, check out this thing I made, it took me all day, and they're like, you do know like the CSS property exists, right? And it's like, obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's painful, but then like it's nice knowing that the next time you need it, it's just there out of the box, and you don't have to support all that code that you just wrote. If you remember yeah. it, or if, if, if you're like me and you copy and paste your own code constantly, you may be perpetuating your bad habits. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I have a a little folder that's like, here is a website like boilerplate, like with all my common like CSS for like setting the height of the browser and sticky footer and making sure there's no like margin around oh, like, sticky header elements yeah Ooh, sticky footer is really easy foot, with man. uh flexbox yeah i i've recently discovered flexbox and have mm-hmm. not wanted to go through the trouble of implementing it in things that already exist which means mm-hmm. i'll probably never use right. it but... <laughs> i did things mostly right though i use tables good. where they're appropriate but mm-hmm. i use divs for everything else and then that led to lots of pain learning how to float things. Oof, that just reminded me of when everything was tables. Was oh yeah, back, back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day, every, the entire website and was still a lot of email formatting stuff because that is garbage, but yeah. Oh yeah, uh, formatting HTML emails is just... My, my, my HTML email is limited to Outlook <laughs> for work. It's yeah, yeah I, I'm pretty much like single column, maybe, maybe a background image, 
That's it. Uh, you're already you're already beyond. But if I'm sending an email <laughs> myself, it's text. Maybe, so, maybe you'll get some bold or italic in there. We've yeah. we I remember we uh, had to make a custom version of Vedana as a font so that it would be pixelated because the font on the icons is just that little bit too small for it to display right. So we made a pixel version of it at that size just so that the icons look just right. I forgot it's about so that. so strange. That is amazing. Some of the workarounds you have to come up with just because you're, you're that determined to make sure that pixels look like fucking pixels. <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing. 2020, we can't get pixels to render on our screens correctly. Yeah? It's so strange. <laughs> Web browser, no, we promise you, you don't want to show them as pixels. You've brought up this redesign a few times, and I'm wondering how long has this redesign been in going on, and what what are the goals behind it? Uh, you want to start? I mean, I mean, it's just get it's just age, isn't it? Uh, things get old, and you go, oh wait, actually, people aren't using tiny monitors anymore. Um, you kind of <laughs> want to make things work for the the your old smartphones that all the kids are raving about, and you want to make sure that it's all like I ipad ready and and uh i don't know i don't know what i'm waffling on about right now but i think we just uh we want to give you a couple specifics of... yeah, yeah um i could tell you when i came on i i've been involved in probably what like three or four full site redesigns at this point um i, I think the one we have now is is pretty solid and is likely going to stick around for a while. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to the fact that even that changed recently as well. But when I my my first real involvement, we had an old school three column layout, mm -hmm. um, which was classic at the time. And eventually, that kind of fell out of favor, and we changed it. Um, now it's two columns, and originally a fixed width of nine hundred eighty pixels because the most common resolutions were 1280 by 1024 or mm -hmm. less. So 980 gives you a usable site even at 1024 by 768. Um, but with, I mean, I, I'm looking at three 1440p monitors right now. Um, I'm pretty sure Daz is sitting in front of a 4K monitor or two himself. Yeah. <laughs> 980 pixels on a 4,000 pixel wide screen left you with a lot of wasted space. Mm -hmm. um, so more recently, I, I kind of just decided to take on two projects kind of simultaneously and made the main layout uh, responsive up to a certain mm -hmm. degree. Um, so it is now 80%, I think 80% width, mm -hmm. uh, but with a maximum width of it's something like 1,980. Uh, and that just happened to be where 10 icons, 10 sheet icons fit perfectly across um, because I was testing it at larger sizes. And yeah, I could have just left it at 80%, but if you had mm -hmm. like one of those 49-inch 5K monitors, the site was going to look really stupid. But the farther you go up, the more you're going to see wasted space on the sides. Uh, and then once that worked, uh, I made a mobile layout too because we didn't have one. And the site mm -hmm. really did not work well on mobile before. I mean, you could click icons but trying to navigate like the console navigation was mm -hmm. a crapshoot because they were really tiny and there were a lot of them so i mean that's just recent layout changes but i mean there's been yeah. uh, since the site the day, yeah but when before pe came on i was uh we, the way we did it, it was just raw html you know all of these different pages we just had raw html on them copy pasted all of the bits to do an update on the front page and then you get rid of that next week and you put another one up and you're just mm -hmm. maintaining all of this by teaching uh, just random people on the internet how to deal with HTML. So like and completely static pages is what you're saying, like just manually were, yeah. completely edited. static. And they and were so up like, until the point that I came on. Yeah. So 2010, this was still happening. Yeah. I, well, because I, I was a kid, man. You know, I didn't know what uh -huh. I was doing. But that, that's actually a really good example of why the, the initial layout change happened. It wasn't even so much that, like, yeah, the layout's garbage and we need a new one. It was just the way the site worked couldn't sustain 
the level of activity it was getting at that mm-hmm. point. Back back in the mm-hmm. day, the way that submissions were handled was you'd post a thread on the form, mm-hmm. uh, a staff member would review it, and then you know, way back, I assume, before I was involved, would manually create the page and upload it via FTP. Um, yeah, you have later to on, an icon in MS Paint, and you'd have to teach them FTP, and then an icon for the sprite sheet as well. I mean, it's nuts. Later on, um, that's secure. The, the, previ- the previous like tech guy before me uh, created like a, a proper control panel, but it was mm-hmm. still only accessible by staff. And even then, you still had to manually shuffle around files to get things right. So, like, if you were putting a game under, you know, Game Boy. You actually, there was a Game Boy folder, and then like an A folder, and then you'd create the game entry under the A folder, and then you'd paste the sheets in that folder. Which meant that if you wanted to move a sheet from one game to another, or a game from one console to another, you either had to completely delete it and re-upload it, or log in via FTP and manually move files around. Uh, (laughs) So that's really what initiated the initial change, was it's now completely database-driven. Uh, so moving moving a game between consoles is as simple as updating a single integer value from you know three to five, and everything moves with it. I, I'm guessing at least at one point somebody accidentally deleted a file they weren't supposed to, or uh, well, that, somebody that's else's. A, <laughs> that's a beautiful transition into the topic I was about to ask Daz if he wanted to discuss. Oh my god, that is the this is the literally like uh, I think. I lost a good 10 years of my life uh, just from this one incident. It's In three crazy. days, mind you. <laughs> um, do you remember when that happened? Because I want to actually pull up the thread. I can't actually remember. It was... Uh... It's a dark time. Oh, God. I think it was pre-2014. Yeah, that sounds right. Lord. I'll see if I can find it. But we call this the great database delete of whatever year it happened to happen. <laughs> the great database delete. Um, and so we were working at the time on adding in the revisions feature that now exists on the site. So staff can go in and edit content directly. Um, members who you know find a mistake, let's say a, a spelling mistake, or they want to add sprites to an existing sheet or whatever, can submit a revision, and then that revision gets queued, and staff can approve it and push it mm-hmm. to the site. And while we were testing this feature, we were obviously submitting test revisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once we were done and ready to go... I went to go clear the table of garbage revision data and forgot that I had previously selected the sheets table. So when I went to truncate and stupidly did not look at the warning message and said, are you sure you want to delete the table sheets? I clicked yes. And this was the one downside to the new system of non-static pages because it meant that all of the categorization of the site was gone. Uh, the sheet files themselves were still there. The games were still there. The consoles were still there. But as far as the site was concerned, the content didn't exist anymore. No big deal, right? We had backups. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll lose a few hours. Not not a huge not a huge problem. Um, I don't like where this coinc- is going. <laughs> coinciding with this revisions feature was also the migration of an older server to a newer one. This revisions feature was going to be launched as part of the newer version of the site. And we were going to migrate the old version of the site from the old server to the new server while we were developing this new version, which was like 90% feature complete by this point anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that technology changed enough. I don't know if we were on like CentOS 5 on the old one and moved to 7 on the new one or... It might have even been like a Debian distribution on the old one and moving to SunOS on the new one. But regardless, there was some incompatibility with features in PHP or Apache or something that were used on the old version that broke completely on the new server. So we had to just go ahead and launch the new site immediately. (laughs) Not a huge deal, except for the fact that we didn't know this going into the migration, which meant that as we were getting all of this transferred over, it was all happening very, very quickly because the site was down while it was happening. So we transferred all the files. We got everything up online. We worked out the, the bugs here and there that were you know, causing the site to slow down and everything. Everything seemed fine. Um, shut down the old server, canceled the account. Everything was good. Deleted the database. Not a big deal. We transferred the backups too. Now, this was a couple months into the new server, of course. While we transferred the backup destinations and we transferred the backup scripts, 
we apparently did not edit the backup scripts to point to the new file paths. So the backups were running, but not backing anything up. <laughs> so we are now dead in the water. We had a couple friends that helped us back in the day that we contacted and tried everything from you know going through you know temporary file systems in Linux to see if we could recover the deleted MySQL data. Spoiler, we couldn't. Nothing was looking good. So our old tech guy at the time thought, well, maybe we could write a scraper to go through Google Archives. Mm -hmm. um, but Google, being the largest scraper in the universe, doesn't allow you to scrape their archive pages. If you try to hit them more than like two or three times in like an hour, they blacklist your IP. Mm -hmm. and I, I, made, I, made up, I made up the hour statistic, but like they hit you fast, and there's really no way around it. So that wasn't looking good. And uh, again, the site was completely dead mm -hmm. at this point. The other three sites, by the way, the models, textures, sounds were all fine because I was working specifically with sprites at the time. But of course, that's the most important and the most large data set. Um, so to make a relatively long story short, and if I can find the thread, I'll link the, the full story eventually. Mm -hmm. But we spent three days manually restoring the site to a degree. It was not a matter of re-uploading everything directly. What we wound up doing was I wrote some JavaScript as a bookmarklet that we could use to go to um, archived pages on Google. And it would basically look at every sheet. Like, so we'd go to a game page and it would have mm -hmm. all the sheets listed, hit a button, and it would fill a text box at the top of the page with all of the relevant data from that page paste that data into a form that I made that would process it and then reinsert everything into the database where it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So in the end, all we actually lost was hit counts for the sheets. Um, Boo-hoo. But <laughs> that sounds a lot better than it was. Um, that was basically three straight 24-hour days, mostly of Daz and his wife at the time, because I had work. Going through, I, honestly, yeah, I remember the process of like I was just I was awake for a good twenty four hours at a time, and I would just I set up a macro button and a Google Doc sheet with all of the URLs to go to, so it would like click things just as I needed them to, and then I would manually paste things, and I just I worked out this machine like flow, and just <laughs> crashed on the floor next to the computer for a couple of hours every now and then, and then would get back up and keep on processing. It was. Uh, that was one of those moments where I was like, I can't uh, let this go. You know, this is uh, a big deal to fuck up. And well, yeah, no, assuming this happened, I'm glad in I did it. Yeah, no, it, it was worth the effort. Uh, assuming it happened in 2013, 2014. I mean, you got to figure that's 10 years of sight that would have that could have just vanished. So yeah, like I'd get up early before work and help, and then spend the night after work helping. But it was mostly, it was mostly him, and it did work. I still remember the last, the, the end of day three, we had some two or three hundred sheets left of, I mean, what, 50,000 at the time? That we didn't know where they went. Through a crazy amount of detective work, looking through archives, and a, a member who happened to email us and say, hey, I, I just happened to create a full archive of the site in December. Um, would that be helpful to you? <laughs> <laughs> so he sent us that. And there's a there's a lot of things that came together right, um, but that that last when we finally got it down to like forty or fifty sheets, we were both mm -hmm. zombies basically, and ultimately figured out that most of them were content that had just been deleted at some point, so we left wow. it deleted. But we did get it back up, and then either immediately or first thing the next morning, I created a new backup system, <laughs> <laughs> and you tested it, I'm sure. Yes, multiple times. Um, oh my god, the backups it, it, now are absolutely nuts. We've made sure after that one incident that it's never gonna happen again. Mm -hmm. So right now, if you're curious, the way the backups work is there's a full database dump every six hours uh, okay. that's stored on the server for two weeks. The last database dump of every month is pushed to a different folder and a year of monthly backups are stored on the okay. server. 
that those server backups are then copied daily to my computer, mm. which is then backed up via Time Machine to a network drive. I also have a separate external hard drive that I occasionally make backups on when that fills up completely. Mm. Uh, and then Backblaze is mirroring both of those to the cloud. Uh, and then in addition to the database backups, the entirety of the site structure is also synced daily back to my computer and included in those additional backups. So literally the server could catch on fire right now, and at most we'd lose six hours. So theoretically, mm. theoretically, you should be safe in every case, right? <laughs> theoretically, yeah. <laughs> kind of strange because like, I guess what we we've did is failed as hard as possible and then recovered with as extreme prejudice as we could that we will never face that again. And hopefully we won't. Yeah, that's... <laughs> wow. I, I've i had stuff like... Not not anywhere near this bad, but I've had, you know, small little hiccups and been like, oh, I should really... I should really invest in, like, making a better system to keep this from happening again. But if... I've never hit that low, and... Hearing the story is making me rethink it. It's like, wow, I should really be making backups of everything. If you're not you backing up now, take our experience as a word of caution and back up. That applies to anybody listening to this now or in the future, too. Back up. The, the common rule that you might hear referred to, 321, have three copies of your data in two places, and one of them should be off-site. So, I mean, if you, even if it's as simple as, like, you back up to an external hard drive once a month and keep that mm -hmm. external hard drive at your mom's house, that's fine. But make your backups. Yeah, we should, we should do that with the anti-function site. I, I, have, I have a backup on my computer. I usually upload stuff to my own local database and then upload it to the site, but I don't think that's enough. <laughs> yeah, man, honestly, it's one of those things where I... I was the, the young person who went, ah, it's fine. You know, over time, you just lose stuff, right? You don't need it if it's, uh, you know, nothing's going to go wrong because you know what you're doing. <laughs> and then it turns out that's not really a safe way of living um, with anything. So <laughs> that's just being young and thinking that the world is out to be nice to you and not out to get you. Do you have game projects of your own? And how did you, how'd you get into wanting to do game stuff? game stuff uh, or... <laughs> I mean I've never really to be honest I've never really been any good at it uh, <laughs> I've I've just been kind of I was an avid player back in the mm -hmm. day of the SNES and Mega Drive and PlayStation and all that sort of stuff and uh, I still play games all the time you know it, it never disappears um, mm -hmm. and I just kind of really liked the way that they were made but I never really wanted to make my own I, I always kind of found fascination in other people's writing and ideas and concepts and trying to just kind of understand all of that rather than dedicate myself to making my little imprint. I'd just rather digest everyone else's imprint. Um, but I mean, I, I just I just decided to kind of do the whole be an internet content guy and make internet content stuff. Just, mm -hmm. uh, I made Sprite comics back in the day and then I was like, well, this is, this is not gonna catch on. Uh, so <laughs> uh, when YouTube kicked about, we, we did digital gaming and that's still huge and Mm -hmm. TSR is still a thing, or, or the VG resource in general is still all uh, kicking off. So it's just kind of, I just got kind of lucky as a as a little teenager and just kept having stuff to do. It's great. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And and I've just I've had some job offers to do like community management for for different games companies, but I just didn't. Which is nice to be headhunted because of uh, Surprise Resource as well, which is kind of strange, but. Um, mm -hmm. I just never really wanted to take them because I didn't play the games and I won't say what they are, but I didn't really think they were very good. So I just mm. thought that's not really something I want to do. Turns out I should have because the game is still around since the mid 2000s. So people really love that shit. You... Our division has also mostly been, he's handled content because I, 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 I still am not familiar with the ripping process. I'd like to learn it because I, really like the Phoenix Wright games and recently finished replaying them on Steam. And our Phoenix Wright PC rips are grossly incomplete, and the ones that are there are not great. Um, so I'd like to contribute something at some point to the site, and I figured that would be a good way to do it, but I don't even know how to get started. So he's handled the content side. I've, I've done 
most of the community management side since mm-hmm. 2010. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's the thing is that before that, it was very different. It was just a forum, you know, and that's not uh, managing all of these complicated systems and databases and all that sort of nonsense. I, I was just too early for me to have learned any of that and i was too busy trying to work out how to make the to sort out the content on the website and i think the partnership that we managed to form was just sort of perfect it, we managed to have someone who was passionate about the same two people passionate about the same thing but with two different data sets and, and skills that i don't know it all kind of came together really nicely it's, it's crazy to think about learned a lot in this process too because yeah i, I was technically minded i work in it but like i never used linux so when we had to suddenly we had a falling out with one of our old people who i won't mention um and so suddenly i was responsible for maintaining the server overnight oh. did not know so this is this is an enterprise linux operating system that i didn't really know anything about so i very quickly had to be beyond my you know decent knowledge at the time of like php and html and and its associated mm-hmm. things, I suddenly had to become a Linux system administrator. <laughs> oh my and goodness. then, you know, figure out, you know, like I knew little bits and pieces of MySQL, but I had to figure out a lot more of the in-depth, you know, configuration and, and how to handle backups correctly and all that. And like a lot of this all just had to happen suddenly. But one of the greatest things about working with Daz and all of this is like he said, we have two diversely different skill sets, mm. but we know enough about each other's trade to be able to, at the very least, converse intelligently about it. So, like, mm, yeah. I don't know Photoshop that well beyond manipulation of existing things. I can't create. I'm, I, I don't. I, I wish I had a more creative, art, artistically mind. Anyway, mm-hmm. but I don't. I, I'm I'm very much more technically minded. But like, when he gives me something in Photoshop that he's made, like for instance, a new layout when we were when we were working on that, I know enough about it to be able to manipulate what's there and make things work and then translate that into, you know, HTML, CSS, all that. And then conversely, Daz might not know CSS particularly well, but he mm-hmm. knows enough to experiment and then say, hey, this is what I want to do and I made it work. Now fix the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, sure, maybe he had 14 lines of what could be done in three and I'll fix mm-hmm. it and make it be done in three lines. But, like, the fact is he knows enough about it that he can put something together that's functional. So it, it made it much easier to work together, whereas if either one of us was completely unfamiliar with the others, it would have been much more difficult. Yeah, I've had a similar experience uh, working with others. Even Ian here, like, um, I, I used to be a lot more back-end focused, and then I would have collaborators that were more front-end focused, and it, it meshed well when we were able to understand each other's stuff, even though, much like you, like, you can't, you can't just swap positions, but you can at least kind of like fix their stuff or like understand what's actually happening. And yeah, I think it does it's just add talking through up. a problem. You know, like if you can just talk enough about something with another perspective, it just allows mm-hmm. you to kind of realize that you were being a little bit limited in how you were looking at a, a problem and how you were going to fix it, and that that it just get a completely different view from someone who thinks differently to you. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you don't even need. The, the alternate viewpoint. I can't tell you how many times I've run into a roadblock and it's just like, all right, Daz, you're not going to understand most of this because it's like nitty-gritty programming logic stuff that like he doesn't deal with. But I'm just going to yeah. read through the code mm-hmm. and explain what it does and then you tell me if something doesn't sound logically correct. And then sometimes he'll point out like, well, yeah, you did this stupid thing here and I don't know how to fix it, <laughs> but that's what you did. <laughs> and, and then sometimes... I, he, he won't even get a chance to talk because as I'm explaining everything mm-hmm. to him, it's just like, okay, well, then it does this, and then it does, oh my god, this is why it doesn't work. And he's just like, great, I'm glad I could help. So, so Daz <laughs> is basically a rubber ducky that sometimes talks back. He has yeah. indeed filled that role before. Yeah. Sometimes I just fall asleep in the chair and Pete doesn't even realize. <laughs> that yeah. really seems to be a popular strategy. It's, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. more and more people that do that, yeah. The falling asleep bit. Um, no. Uh, are there are there any other projects you guys are working on or any projects that like any dream projects that you would really love to work on or anything like that i mean uh, for me right now i just want to kind of uh with lockdown and everything i just want to keep on uh you know 
keeping my head above water and maybe get a house that I can settle in. Uh, I, I've been working on a book, I've been doing YouTube, and I've, I've oh. been doing TSR, so it's just kind of, it's all a bit hectic all the time, uh, and I think I just kind of want to chill out for a little bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I, I have a house, uh, and I have been lucky enough to have a job that hasn't really been affected by the lockdowns. Like I said, I work in IT. I, I permanently work from home. I, I'm in Colorado. My company's based in New Jersey, um, where I lived prior to moving out here. So besides not being able to go to the gym, not much about my daily life has changed. But I don't have, I, I don't know, I'm pretty content for the time being. Uh, maintaining this network of sites is a much more involved process than people would imagine from I the front it. side. So I'm not really looking to do anything major on top of it. Uh, we we are working on a redesign of another site, but by working on, I mean like we have a really loose plan and have made some mock-up pages. Yeah, um, uh, we spent a have... week doing some bits at one point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we made some good progress during that week, and then haven't looked back at it since because I the the reality is that the site does function. Mm -hmm. as it is right now. It's, it's more just kind of... So I, I guess if you talk in dream projects, cause it's not a dream project in the sense that, like, <laughs> wow, this is going to be, like, my life's achievement if we ever get it <laughs> happening. But dream in the sense of it's something that we've thought about doing and haven't yet. How can people contribute to uh, the video game resource if they want to get into it but don't have any idea how to? When you say don't know how to, do you mean don't know how to physically obtain the content or don't know how to, like actually you know like they have something they want to submit but don't know how to do it uh, pro probably they results. they want to get into it but don't know how to get started so like they don't they don't have any specific content they just know that this is a thing that they that they're interested in i mean yeah i would say just join the discord uh for um it's discord dot wait what is it is it discord.gg slash dykg for god's sake those urls <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me, let me grab What's wrong with Dr. Game? Uh, forward slash DYKG, and then in there we've got like a, a bunch of boards for people to communicate about programming or art or whatever you want to. And uh, uh, I mean, there's the forum. We've got loads of archive posts over the years of people trying to work out stuff. If you want to just follow along with what's been posted there, you know, you can mm -hmm. learn by just repeating. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, Especially with 3D, if that's what you're interested in, there are tons and tons of resources out there right now. Um, yeah. And lots of free software that you can use to get started. Things like Blender are a great way to just kind of dip your toes in the water. And then as far as once you've gotten to the point where you're ready to actually submit something, just create an account and submit it. It's a lot easier than it used to be. Well, thank you both for coming on. It was a pleasure. We got some really cool stories that I would have never known. <laughs> Pleasure's all on this side, I'm sure. Thank you for listening in to episode 90 of Indie Radio. Indie Radio is recorded using open broadcaster software and edited with Audacity. You can find more of our shows on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Next week, we chat with Hugo Limbo and Gabe Lane of Limbo Lane, creators of the Nod and Shake adventure Smile For Me. Thank you again for listening, and we hope to see you then.